God is good? And all the time? Isn't he amazing? Are you thankful for the cross this morning? Thank you for the worship team leading in that song, Jesus Paid It All. And I hope today that if you have not experienced the gift of Jesus, that before we leave today, that you'll experience the grace that Jesus offers all of us. It's a free gift. That's pretty amazing. There's nothing free anymore, is there? And yet God freely offers us grace and mercy and salvation, and I'm so grateful uh, for that reminder uh, today. So I'm going to invite you to find your way to Lamentations, okay? Lamentations, if you're not aware, there is a index in the front of your Bible, all right? You can use that. And then also, if you're following along on uh, your phone or your tablet or iPad, you can find the notes on the YouVersion Bible app uh, and Lamentation. So in case you don't know, my name is John, and I am blessed to serve as a pastor here. And uh, if I have not had the chance to meet you, I will be in the foyer. My wife, Joy, and I will be in the foyer right after the service, and we would love to just uh, introduce ourselves to you and you introduce yourself uh, to us. I do want to remind you that tonight at 6 o'clock, tonight at 6 o'clock, we have our third in our Be Healthy uh, series uh, seminar tonight. Tonight, uh, the uh, Ministry of Soul Care Network, they're going to be presenting again. And tonight, the topic for our seminar will be about suicide. And so maybe it'll be an opportunity for us to learn tonight on how to maybe uh, better uh, be equipped to, to uh, biblically help someone who may be struggling with thoughts of suicide. So let me encourage you uh, to be here tonight. If you can't make it in person, it will be online on our Facebook and, and YouTube as well. And as you watch the video, wasn't, wasn't that... Uh, I don't know the right word, but entertaining to watch the kids try to sit still during that video. How many of you, like my age and up, remember the days of trying to wrangle the kids, right? And how many of you are glad you're past those days, right? Can we say amen? How many of you are in the middle of those days? We're praying for you, all right? But uh, just, just wanted to clarify that we, every year for about the last five years, have participated in giving Tuesday, it's the Tuesday following Thanksgiving every year, and every year we have had a project uh, that we've raised money for. Uh, last year, this, or this year in June, we got to go and be a part of your money that you gave for Giving Tuesday by putting in a community basketball court in uh, Mombasa, Kenya, Africa, and it was amazing. We got to be a part of putting that together a little bit as much as they trusted us, and we were there for the opening prayer of that basketball court as a community converged on that, uh, that manna feeding center, that manna school, and the church that's there. And so this year, as you saw in the video, Steve and Katie Hoyt, God brought them to our church a few years ago during the middle of the pandemic. They're both medical doctors, and then God called them back to Gami which is a city in Niger, West Africa, where they serve at a hospital. And so as in most third world countries, uh, a vehicle is necessary, a vehicle is expensive, and a four-wheel drive vehicle is necessary. And so as you, the Lord leads you to give, I want you to know that's where that money is going this year to help them have a vehicle and to help cage their kids in as they go places, all right? 
Uh, so Lamentations chapter number four is where we're going to be at today. Uh, Lamentations is a book of lament, sad songs, as you will. Okay, there's five sad poems. Jeremiah the prophet is writing, Jewish tradition would say that he's writing from a cave looking over Jerusalem as it lays in ruins and on fire and as it is being destroyed. The judgment of God is falling on the city of Jerusalem and the people of Israel. And he is lamenting God's judgment over the people. Week one, we looked at the characteristic of God that God is holy and understand that in God's holiness, he has to, he has to make things right, right? He's a just, holy God. When we think about his wrath, we have to understand that God's wrath is not unjustifiable, and it's not like this uncontrolled anger that you as a parent may have had at some point for your kid. When we think about God's righteous and holy anger, we think about this as his righteous justice. Week two, we looked at the characteristic of God, that God is merciful. And we understand that in God's discipline, it's a form of rescue. It's a form of mercy because when God disciplines us as children, he's always doing it with the right motives, with the right heart, with the right reason to bring us back into fellowship. God is merciful. Last week, we looked in chapter three that God is faithful. And we think about the faithfulness of God. And really, this verse in Lamentations 3 is kind of the, the, the greatest verse in all of the lament, right? That the Lord's steadfast love never ceases. Think about that for a moment. You will never reach the end of God's love for you. His mercies are new every when? Morning. Great is his faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. Today we're going to look at the fact that God is patient. When we think about suffering, we think about the patience of God, and we think about the reality that all of us at some point are probably you've either just come out a season of suffering, you may be in a season of suffering, or I will be the bearer of bad news, you may be about to enter into a season of suffering. And in our seasons of suffering, what Lamentations wants us to wrestle with, the question this morning is, in that season, will I become bitter or will I become better? And the choice really is up to you. We've asked this three questions really over the last 10 weeks as we walk through Esther, now Lamentations. The, these three questions, do you believe that God is good, yes or no? Do you believe God is in control, yes or no? And then the third question, the most important question, the faith question is, will you trust God until he proves it? Or even if he doesn't? Will I trust God even if? Now, this morning, our text is, is broken up into, we're going to break it up into four different sections, all right? So Lamentations chapter 4, like many of the other chapters, four of the five chapters are 22 verses. Chapter 1, 2, and 4 are an acrostic, so the first letter of the, the Hebrew alphabet begins, and chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 4 all begin with the first word, how, like speaking of the magnitude of God's suffering. And so the first section today is called before and after. 
Jeremiah gets us a picture of what it was like for the nation of Israel to walk in obedience and now what it's going to be like for them as they walked in disobedience. Remember the covenant God had with the nation of Israel. If you walk in obedience, you'll be blessed. If you walk in disobedience, you'll be cursed. And the first 10 verses give us that. Now, just like the rest of, I mean, considering the name of the book, Lament, Lamentations, this is a heavy, there's some verses in chapter 4 that bring uh, horrible imagery to mind that speaks to the devastation and the, just the horrific events that took place that Jeremiah chronicles for us. And so before we get into the heaviness, can we have it a moment of levity? Is that all right? So you guys maybe have seen some of these memes. These are like some before and after pictures. Some of you will identify with this one, like before coffee in the morning and after coffee in the morning. How many of you uh, can identify with that one, all right? Some of us, we've already talked about parenting. Some of us will identify with this. This is before kids and, and after kids, right? All right, before school is the next one, and then after school. <laughs> now, I can identify with that one. When I was that age, maybe a little older, I would get in trouble at school. I would get sent to the principal's office. Back then, they had punishment, and I would receive said punishment. Are you tracking with me? And then, you know, the principal would pick up the phone, push the button, and say, Pastor Haley, I'm sending him over. And I would walk to my dad's office and number two. All right, anyways, I got double discipline. That's why I'm so doubly good. All right, maybe, how many teachers in here? Can you, any teachers? Can we give a hand to our teachers? They deserve it. First of school, after school. All right, enough funny business. Let's get to the chapter, all right? Lamentation, chapter number four. How the gold, and you're gonna see quickly the, the contrasting statements, the before and after. How the gold has become den. How changed that, the fine gold. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. Remember a few weeks ago when, when you uh, were given a stone as you walked in and we told you that this stone would represent two things. One would be the devastation of the city of Jerusalem. This is what it's speaking of. Every stone is scattered. It lays in ruins. It's destructive. We also said that this stone would represent maybe a season of suffering or maybe for you it's a doubt or a hurt or a pain and whatever the result may be or why that has happened. That's kind of your personal thought. But that this also represents that. And this morning, uh, these stones are still placed along the altar. If at the end of the service you still want to pray, maybe you haven't got one of these, feel free to come grab one of these. And just, uh, it's a reminder that God's in control. That every day when I look at this and I think of the problems, again, for me, I have to preface, my problems are very small compared to most people. But my problems are still my problems. and, and, And they still bring doubt or hurt or feelings of frustration. And aren't you thankful that no matter how small your problem is, God still listens to you? Or know how big your problem is, God can still handle it? Right, so the, the stone, the stones of the sanctuary are scattered. Verse number two, the precious sons of Zion, valuable as fine gold, how they are regarded as clay pots, the work of the hands of the potter, even the jackals 
the wild beasts present their breasts to nurse their young. The daughter of my people is cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the infant clings to the roof of their mouths for thirst. The young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Do you see the before and the after? Those who were brought up in scarlet and other royalty embrace ash heapers. Ash heaps can't speak. Verse 6, the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a minute with no hand to help her. Verse 7, her Nazarites were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies, like sapphire in their appearance. Again, this is just a description of the nobility and, and how great everything was. Life was great when we walked in the blessings of the Lord. Verse 8, now, here's the after, their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. And verse 10 is probably where it seems to be the greatest darkness and the greatest imagery of the desolation, the devastation, the judgment. The hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. They become food for them and the destruction of the daughter of my people. And again... Jeremiah doesn't stray away from revealing to us the devastation that laid upon Jerusalem. And can you imagine how horrific this scene must have been? And it brings to mind, as the tradition would tell us, that, that Jeremiah sits on a hill overlooking Jerusalem and in a cave writing what he is seeing weeping. Jeremiah for 40 years had asked and preached and proclaimed and begged and pleaded with the nation of Israel to repent and turn back to God and to live in the blessing God wanted to give them. They chose not to. And here he sees the devastation and he cries out, he weeps. Section number two, beginning verse number 11, says the wrath poured out. Remember, as we read chapter three and chapter two, it was no doubt the word he over and over again. There's no doubt that Jeremiah is convinced and he knows that the judgment that is upon his people, although it's the people of, it's the Babylonians who are attacking them, it's the Babylonians who are uh, acting this horrific act upon the nation of Israel, but Jeremiah knows the reason that this is happening is because of their own sin. It's a result of God's judgment upon them. Look at verse number 11. The Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger, kindled a fire in Zion, and, and has devoured its foundations. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. And Babylonians had encompass the city of Jerusalem, some say for 18 months, they starved them out. It was a shock to the world that Jerusalem would fall. Why did they fall? Verse number 13, because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in her midst the blood of the just. 
They wandered blind in the streets. They had defiled themselves with blood so no one could touch their garments. They cried out to them, go away unclean, go away, go away. And you get this picture of those who were once leaders are now lepers. Do not touch us. When they fled and wandered this among the nations said, they shall no longer dwell here. The face of the Lord scattered them. He no longer regards them. The people do not respect the priest nor show favor to the elders. Part three, verse 17 through 20, speak of the sovereignty of God. Verse 17, still our eyes failed us, watching vainly for our help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that could not save us. And what, what Jeremiah is speaking of is in the nation of Israel at this time, instead of looking to God, remember he's been preaching for 40 years, turn back to God. If you repent, God will forgive. Aren't you grateful and thankful this morning that as a follower of Jesus, if we turn and run from God and we walk in our sins, that the moment that we turn back to God and say, I repent, that there is grace offered to us. Aren't you thankful for that? And that's what the message of Jeremiah was, if you would repent, and they chose not to. God in his sovereignty. And so even in verse 17, what the nation of Israel had done was they had looked to the nation of Egypt. They tried to make alliances. Egypt, would you come save us from the Babylonians? And their help would not come. Because who is greater than the Egyptians? Who's greater than the Babylonians? Who's in control of this War, it is the sovereign God. His judgment, his wrath is being poured out. Verse 18, they tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near, our days were over, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They pursued us on the mountains and lay in wait for us in the wilderness. Verse 20, the breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord was caught in their pits of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. And again, they had put their trust in King Zedekiah. Jeremiah would tell us that King Zedekiah, in the book of Jeremiah, when the attack came, when they were finally overrun, that King Zedekiah tried to depart in the middle of the night and left his people to fend for themselves. Jeremiah also, in the book of Jeremiah, we see over and over again that Jeremiah speaks to the king Zedekiah, if you would repent, he would continually go back to his sin. Jeremiah would speak that all of King Zedekiah's sons were killed in front of his eyes. And then they removed his eyesight. The last thing he would see on the earth was the murder of his own sons. And all of that could have been avoided if he would have turned, if he would have repented. There's a glimmer of hope in verse 21 and 22. It's this section called the suffering ending. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. Okay, just a little background here. Edom is the descendants of Esau, right? Israel, the descendants of Jacob. Edom, the descendants of Esau. Brothers, right? They are kin. They live right next to each other. But they're, 
their relationship off and on and off and on continually. We read in Jeremiah where Edom was celebrating the destruction of Israel. So remember in chapter one, we saw that the Israelites are kind of repenting. Hey God, yeah, we're sorry, but what about those people? And who are those people that Israel is speaking of? The Edomites. So God is gonna address that. Rejoice and be glad, like we, we understand that Edom was celebrating the destruction of Jerusalem. But God has addresses that. The rest of verse 21, the cup shall also pass over to you, and you shall become drunk and make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no longer send you into captivity. He will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will uncover your sins. What God is saying is that the punishment of the nation of Israel will be fulfilled. It will be accomplished. But then he speaks to Edom and says, this cup of suffering, this cup of judgment, this cup of wrath will pass to you and you will drink so much of it that you will be drunk and naked. Which leads us to, I want to give you three points of application as we look at this chapter. We've, we've called this, if you received one of the books that, that my brother wrote on Beauty from Ashes, this is in that book as well. Here's the three suffering certainties for us this morning as we kind of process the judgment of God in chapter four. Number one, God will discipline his children. God will discipline his children. Hebrews chapter 12, it'll be on the screen for us this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning verse number five. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Okay, so we're talking in this context here to believers. If you've given your life to Christ, the Ephesians would say that you've been adopted into the family of Christ. You are now a son, a daughter of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's a great thing to be in, right? To be adopted by God, the creator. But here's where it's speaking. So it's addressing specifically those of us who've given our life to Christ. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord, what's the word? Whom the Lord, what? A child of God, the one whom he loves. And what will he do? He will chasten, scourge every son or daughter whom he receives. I mean, that sounds like really heavy, right? But it's, it's good news because God disciplines those whom he loves. You know that as a parent, right? Discipline is not always easy. Discipline is not always, you know, how many of you ever said to your, your child, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you? Have ever said that? How many of you, your, your parents said that to you? One time I decided when, when my dad said that, I said, well, let's switch places then. <laughs> no, I didn't really. I may not be here today if I would have, but I thought it, I thought it a lot. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with his sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten or discipline? 
right? And the discipline is always for their good. Well, let me rephrase that. As a parent, as you discipline, it should be for their good. Thankfully, God doesn't make mistakes. When he disciplines us, it is always for our good. But, verse 8, if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers of, then you are an illegitimate and not sons. What's the author of Hebrews telling us? If you can live in habitual sin, unconfessed habitual sin, maybe you actually are not a child of God. It was heavy in here this morning, it just got a lot heavier. But remember why the nation of Israel is in this situation in the first place. It was because many of the priests didn't preach the truth. It was because many, in other words, Jeremiah would tell King Zedekiah, if you don't repent, God's going to judge. Well, he would go find other prophets that would give him a better message and say, no, it's going to be okay. Everything is going to be great. What I want you to know that it's not going to be okay. Everything is not going to be great. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you will spend an eternity experiencing the wrath and the judgment of God for all of eternity. The most loving thing I can do for you this morning is to let you know that if you can continue in unrepentant sin and God is not disciplining you, then you probably are not a child of God. That's what the scripture teaches us. God disciplines his children So if you're in a season of discipline because of your sin, repent. Turn to God and be glad that you are a child of God. Number two, Jesus took my cup. What does that mean? Verse 21, we read this. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz, the cup shall pass the cup shall also pass over to you and this cup represents the judgment the suffering from the judgment of god that a righteous holy god passes to us because of sin but do you remember the words of jesus just an hour or so before he would be betrayed and arrested. Jesus in the garden with his closest disciples in praise, in anguish. Luke would describe it as that he sweat drops of blood. Remember what Jesus prayed? Matthew 26, 39, he went a little farther. He fell on his face and he prayed, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this, what's the word? Let this cup pass from me, the suffering, the wrath, the judgment. God, if there's any other way, then he ends the prayer. Nevertheless, not not my will, but your will be done. The cup of suffering, the judgment of sin, the wrath of God, 
that was meant for me was poured out on Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. This is where it turns. We got good news. Jesus took the cup of suffering for you, and you don't have to pay for your sins. You don't have to experience the wrath and the judgment of God because God poured it out on Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that? Which I think brings us back to where we started this morning, the before and after picture. Let me give you the greatest before and after picture. Okay, it's not before coffee and after coffee, although that's great, it's good to think about. Here's a better one, Ephesians chapter two. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. That's the before picture. Before Christ, How are we described? Spiritually dead. We are in our sins. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us, here's the after picture, what is it? He made us what? Alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You've been raised up together, made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, In Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved. It is through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Before Christ, spiritually dead. Paul would go on in in this chapter to describe before Christ. We're aliens. We're strangers. We have no hope. We're far off. Then he says, after Christ, we've been made citizens. We've been adopted We have hope. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that a great before and after picture? What a blessing for you in this morning to sit here and to be able to hear God loves you. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, today could be the day of your salvation. That's the good news. Jesus took my cup And number three, God is patient. And I must say, personally, I am so thankful that God was patient with me. I'm stubborn. I'm strong-willed. I like things the way I like things because that's the way I like things. Deal with it, right? For 17 years, I sat in a church like this. My dad would stand up here and proclaim, the only way to get to heaven is to place your faith in Jesus. For 17 years, I was stubborn, strong-willed, and wanted to do it my way. And I'm thankful that God was patient. What does 2 Peter 3, 9 tell us? I love this verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but his long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should, what's the word? 
but all would come to what? Repentance. And maybe the very reason you're here this morning is because God wants you to experience the before and the after. To experience the love of Christ poured out on you that you could be adopted into the very family of God. The Bible is very clear on this. We always kind of use it in three different steps. So maybe today, as we're in a moment, we're going to partake of communion. Again, this represents the suffering. It's the cup of suffering that was poured out on Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. I'm thankful Jesus is willing to die and to take my place. I'm thankful that finally at the age of 17, I made a decision that church and coming every week was not going to get me to heaven. That the only way I could get to heaven was these three things. I must admit that I'm a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark of perfection. Admit, A. B, I must believe that Jesus died for me. John 3.16, God so loved the world. God so loved me that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And at the age of 17, I finally admitted that I was a sinner in need of grace. I believe that Jesus died and took my cup of suffering. See, I confessed that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And there was no way I could get to him. There was no way I could get to the Father except through the shed blood of Jesus. My question for you this morning is, have you done that? Three easy steps. Admit, believe, and confess. And right now, in this moment, if you've never done that, Why not now? You you don't have to know the right words. You don't have to have a special prayer. Just take the three steps. Right where you're at. Right now. Right, Right now, you talk to God and you tell God, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. And I confess Jesus is Lord. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment. We're not, we're not done yet. I, just, I don't want to embarrass anyone. So just, just in our eyes are closed. If, if you took those three steps this morning, admit, believe, and confess, would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just put your hand up real quick. Admit and believe and confess. There's one. Anyone else? Two. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. Awesome. Can we celebrate that by by just giving the Lord a hand? You You can look up this morning, but I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is what we're talking about this morning, the cup of suffering that Jesus took for us. 
Paul is writing and he's recounting the story that took place in the upper room with the disciples. He said, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and he had given thanks. He broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same manner he took the cup after saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you drink in remembrance of me. As oft as you eat and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, meaning die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened. Here's the discipline, right? We are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. And so before we partake of the elements, I think it's my responsibility as a pastor, as we've read this text, to clearly define for you who is supposed to partake of communion. It's those who are followers of Jesus. Not only is it those who are followers of Jesus, it's those who are walking in fellowship with Jesus. What Paul said to the church of Corinth was, because you are living in unconfessed sin and you've partaken of communion together, you've brought sickness and judgment and even death upon yourself. And as Jeremiah warned for 40 years, turn, repent. My challenge for you this morning, before we partake of this cup, is to, to wrestle in your own mind. Am I truly walking in fellowship with the Lord? Is there sin in my life I need to repent of? Is my suffering result of my sin. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. We're going to sing a portion of this song this morning, and in the time of this singing, here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do. The altar is open, and, and maybe this morning it's time for you to repent. Maybe this morning as we are about to celebrate Thanksgiving, you just want to come to the altar and say, thank you, God, for the cross before we partake of the elements, that we would just commune with God. As we sing and as we worship, feel free to come, pray, and I'll come and lead us in the elements.